Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Now we've been going through a um, uh, series in Revelation, and we've got a couple of talks left as we get towards the, the end of the book. If you've missed out on any, you can go back to the YouTube channel and uh, you can catch up on any talks you've missed. And I would encourage you, if you have missed some, uh, please, please do that. Uh, today, though, just to help set the scene for we, we, where we're going, uh, seeing a face can be a very powerful thing, can't it? Seeing somebody's face. Oh, as I mentioned before, we've all been through those lockdowns where we weren't actually able to see people face-to-face for long periods of time. People were doing Skype and Zoom and FaceTime and maybe you found some other apps where you actually could do that. It was okay, but it was sort of artificial, wasn't it? You couldn't actually really hear them or really see them in that sense. Well, earlier this year, we had the state borders were finally opened up and after months of this sort of long lockdown and closure... And if you sort of watch the news reports at that time, you witness scenes at the airport here where those people hadn't seen each other for sometimes up to two years uh, and they actually saw each other face to face and those scenes were just moving, weren't they? Just people hugging, crying. They'd probably seen each other on FaceTime the day before, but to see them real time face to face was something totally, again, out of this world. Well, we're going to think about that today because we're going to have a similar experience in heaven. We are going to see God face to face. Now, we know him by the eyes of faith now, but there's a point in time coming where it'll be face to face. Got your Bibles there? Please go with me to uh, Revelation chapter 21, a couple of readings there, verses 5 and 6. And then we're going to skip over to chapter 22. So chapter 21, verse 5 says this, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. And then over to chapter 22. I'm going to read verses 1 to 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the, of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. God, we thank you that we can read this uh, precious passages here in the book of Revelation. God, we pray, please open up the eyes of our faith now. Open up the eyes of our hearts now to see you, Lord to apprehend you through this word, we pray, and to build a glorious hope when we will see you face to face. We ask for your help now, Holy Spirit, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so what we see here in these final two chapters of Revelation is a full restoration of God's making. 
It's a full restoration of all of God's making. Adam and Eve were created by God and they were placed in paradise, the Garden of Eden, that he also, God created that as well, to enjoy this full and loving relationship with God in absolute peace and harmony. And that they did. They walked in the garden and they walked with God. That lasted two chapters into Genesis. Two chapters into Genesis before Adam and Eve rebelled against God's good rule and brought sin and death into the world that they knew. And with sin and death came all forms of brokenness and pain and suffering that we are experiencing today. But the Bible, though, is this epic story of God's redemption in restoration. And we're seeing that, as it were, played here in these final two chapters. It's to restore humanity, as it were, back to the Garden of Eden paradise, to once again to enjoy this full and loving relationship with God our Father. And these last two chapters in Revelation is the glimpse, as it were, of the return to the garden. Uh, And actually, Revelation 22 has us back in a garden-type setting once again with the tree of life that we read about there before. It's it's this return back to the garden. Uh, John is the writer of Revelation. He's been given a revelation on the island of Patmos. He's been exiled there because of his witness before Christ. He's been persecuted and sent out there. And he's writing to the seven churches of Asia Minor and they're doubting whether is God true. Have we really made the right choice? Since I've been following Jesus, life's actually got harder for me some of our brothers and sisters have been killed i'm being persecuted is this right am i have i made the right choice they're looking over their shoulder at the rest of the community they seem to be enjoying life and my life's got harder they've got sort of doubts but with these doubts they also have this something inside of their hearts which is telling them there's something that tells me within that jesus truly is god and that his word is true and that is a peace that he has given me that this world can't give me but they're wrestling with that plus these doubts john writes to them again to remind them of what uh, where our life in christ is heading what is the end game here he's trying to remind these seven churches of asia minor he's saying the end game is this people it's seeing and being with god our creator in a full loving relationship with him and that is where eternity will be lived it'll be seeing god's face experiencing his life flowing from his glory that will make heaven heaven when we see God he's saying it'll be worth it in the end some of you will die some of you will be persecuted heavily but he says keep your eye fixed on the prize keep your eye fixed here on where this is all going to head and you will say it was worth it all when you get there let me ask these questions what will be heaven for you what would make heaven for you? Would it be a brand new golf course every day? Would it be an endless shopping mall with a limitless credit card? Would that be heaven? Now, would it be an apartment on the beach where the sun never sets? Or would it be a farm with green pastures and an unlimited water supply just to keep those pastures green? What will be heaven for you? John's going to tell us here, God is what makes heaven, heaven. Not golf courses, they could be up there. Not farms, they could be up there. Shopping malls, well I hope they're not up there, (laughs) but they could be. 
Heaven will be heaven because God is there. God makes this really telling statement here in chapter 21, verse 5. He says there in verse 5, Behold, I'm making all things new. Everything that was once broken, and we can all see plenty of that around about us, everything that was once broken, I'm now going to make new. Now that is an astounding statement that God makes there. I'm making all things new. All things new. Well, what sort of things will be new, we might ask ourselves, in this new heavens? Well, there'll be no pain and there'll be no suffering in heaven whatsoever. Have a look in verses 3 and 4. It says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things, the broken things, have passed away. There'll be no cancer in heaven. There'll be no arthritis in heaven. There'll be no depression or anxiety in heaven. There'll be no loneliness in heaven. There'll be no relational tension and violence in heaven. There'll be no arguing in heaven. There'll be no death in heaven. For John's hearers, there'll be no persecution in heaven. We're told there there'll be no tears whatsoever in heaven. And I know many of us here have shed many tears over the hurts and the brokenness that we've experienced. But there'll be no tears in heaven. Those things will all be absent. Why will they be absent? Because we will see God and he is there and he will dwell intimately with us. Not via the eyes of faith, through his word and by the presence of his spirit in our lives, but intimately with us. God will be among us in all of his glory. He won't be veiled as it were through the person of Jesus in his humanity. He'll be among us in all of his glory. And his glory that is making all things new, as he's just said there, will have removed all traces of sadness or grief or pain or suffering that has cursed this world ever since Adam and Eve rebelled in the garden. Gone. Never to return. What a glorious thought to think about as we think about seeing God. All that will be gone. And when that's removed, joy. The joy of God will replace it. The absolute joy of God. We will have the joy of God filling our hearts in the absence of all this pain and suffering. And that joy will be a life-giving joy that he'll give to us. It'll be a liberating joy. It'll be a releasing joy. It won't be something that's bound us up or holding us down. It'll be a joy that we will know in God's presence that will lead us to the very fountain of all that joy, God himself. He will be there and we will see him face to face. That is what seeing God will be. It'll be the absence of all that is wrong, all that is broken, all that is painful, all that is hurtful. It'll now be the presence of his joy as we see 
God. Here's a second element that we're going to see here in Revelation 21 as we see God that will fill our hearts with adoration for him. We'll be constantly, constantly enthralled by God's glory and by his beauty and by his majesty. If you step through uh, the uh, passage there, verses 9 to 27, we won't bring it up, but I mean, that's why we send out the email each week, read through this before we get there, because it'll help us dial us in. But if you step through this passage here between verses 9 and 27 in Revelation 21, you see these really grand statements that John makes here. The first one we see there is, we see this, uh, we're shown the bride of the Lamb, as it were, coming down as a city, as a new Jerusalem. John says this, I saw this city coming down. Now, we, I think we need to take that as both a place and as a people because he talks about the bride here coming down. Well, that's us, we're the bride, those who are following Jesus. But he talks about it as a place as well. So we see this new Jerusalem, it's both a people and a place. And we see there there's descriptions of this city, of this place, of rare jewels as clear as crystal as we scan through uh, verses 9 to 27. We also see there uh, these magnificent gates of this city with these angels standing at each gate. He's giving us a very vivid description here. Then there's the measurement of this huge city as he's talking about this place that's coming down uh, to, uh, to the new earth. Uh, this city which I think is probably, don't, we don't take it literally, but it's like a 2,000, 2,500 kilometre square city. Now, again, John's writing in this apocalyptic language. It's, it's like not beyond here to Brisbane. It's nearly like here to maybe Rockhampton or something like that. It's just, that's one city, but it's cubed. So I don't think he's meant to take it literally here, but what he's saying here, this is a majestic place where God will fill this vast expanse of this place. And we're told also about this city that has these unbelievably beautiful foundations here with all types of rare and beautiful jewels. Now, I haven't tried to say some of those words. I've never actually seen some of those foundations, but I believe that they'll be some sort of rare and glorious thing. Some of them probably do have links back to the high priesthood and and the stones and the jewels that they wore in their breastplates. But there's something there telling us about the beauty of these jewels here that are the foundation layers of this city. We're told there that this city has streets that are pure gold. Maybe, I don't know. But it's showing us something grand and majestic as we actually begin to imagine that in our minds. And then in verses 22 and 23, we're actually told there, there's no sun, there's no moon in this place. It's the glory of God that gives us this light and its radiance. Now, Now again, is that literal? I don't know, maybe. But I think we need to ask ourselves, what's John trying to communicate to us when he says these things? In a sense, I don't think he means us to take it literally, but I think what John is telling us here is that the the beauty and the wonder and the glory of God described here is literally out of this world. We can't possibly put that into words. John's done the best he could here in language to try and describe that. But he's saying there's something about the beauty and the glory of God that are just so majestic, it will wow us. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been watching a little bit lately, Chelsea's been watching this David Attenborough's Planet Earth. Who's, who's seen Planet Earth? A little few snippets of that. A couple of hands gone up. Now, I know he's an atheist, as in David Attenborough, but he's really done a service for God through that whole series. He, he probably hasn't intended that, but he has. 
when you look at that and you see those images of those animals and what they do and the things he's got there from the Antarctic and all over the place, I don't know how he's got cameras there, but when you see that and you look at the spectacular scenery where all this video has been captured and taken, I'm amazed by two things. First thing I'm amazed by is the blindness of Sir David Attenborough. I'm amazed by his blindness. How can he see all that and refuse to believe in a God who's created it all? Secondly, I'm amazed by this. I see this majestic beauty and this creativity of God through animals and through this panoramic scenery and I can only say one thing. God, you are amazing. And you just did that with a single word. You created, and that is all happening regardless of us all around this world, this beauty and this splendour. It's the majestic beauty of God. And I think that will be a constant source of praise and worship towards him in heaven as we see this glorious, majestic beauty of God. I think John is giving us his best efforts here through apocalyptic language, as it were, to heighten our imagination, to get us thinking here about how glorious this will be. And I think about Sir David Attenborough's planet. It's probably like a it's probably like a movie trailer, maybe, for heaven. But it's just a very poor movie trailer of that when you think about it. But heaven will be a place where we'll be captured and captivated by the person of God through His splendor, through His glory, as we see these things. And I think seeing God will awaken that. It'll just awaken that glory and that splendor towards us. Here's another thing I think we see here. When we see God, I think it'll be the very, his very presence that will be infusing life into us in glory. And I'm sure John wants us to see this in Revelation 22, uh, verses 1 to 5. Uh, we see there a picture in Revelation 22 of a river that is flowing from God's throne. This is all, again, this is a picture to communicate something to us. And alongside this river, there is the tree of life giving its fruits each month in its season. What's John doing there? John's very much steeped in the Old Testament. He knows that really well. He's picking up imagery here from obviously from the Garden of Eden and also there's a vision from Ezekiel who talks about the the river flowing from the throne in the book of Ezekiel as well, flowing from the temple. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were locked out of the garden where the tree of life was kept. But we see this tree of life again emerge here in these final two chapters. This time the tree of life is freely given to all of God's people. Also we see the image there of the river, which speaks of life, doesn't it? We've all seen again, perhaps on David Attenborough's planet Earth, uh, those game parks in Africa. Where do all those herds and flocks of birds, where do they all congregate and gather? They actually come to water to find life. Actually water breeds life. This river of life that flows from God and Jesus, it flows through this city, through this place, giving life wherever it goes. This is the picture here of seeing God. It's the life that he gives. It's the eternal life that he gives. It's the pinnacle of heaven. We'll be seeing God as we see this life, as it were, emanating from him and through us. We pick it up in verses 3 and 4. He says here, no longer will there be anything accursed, that's all gone, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, 
and his name will be on their foreheads. Can you imagine that? Can you really imagine that? Seeing the face of God. Humanity in a sinfulness cannot see God and live. But now in our heavenly bodies, in our glorified bodies, God will stand before us and we will see him. We will see him. Now if you think about it from our small, tiny little minds that we have now, that's an insane thought. We, we just can't wrap our mind around what that will be or what that will look like. The, the sight of God will be beyond words. The God who created this universe and created everything we see in David at Marathon Earth, we get to see him face to face. And when I see God, I know what will happen. His love towards me will captivate my heart. I will feel his love. I will know his love as he sees me. Because I'll see him as my heavenly father. I'll see him as one that I know. He'll see me as one that he cherishes, that he loves. And for all those who are Jesus' people, he'll see you as one that he cherishes and that he loves. And that love will only draw me closer and closer and closer to him. It will not push me away. It will draw me closer to him as I see him. Here's how the English Christian poet John Doane saw this 300 years ago. He said this, I shall rise from the dead. I shall see the Son of God, the Son of glory, and shine myself as that sun shines. I shall be united to the Ancient of Days, to God himself, who had no morning, never began. No man ever saw God and lived, and yet I shall not live till I see God. And when I've seen him, I shall never die. So true. We won't fully live, we are alive now, but we won't fully live until we see him. And when we see him in Christ, we shall never die. We shall never die. It's a glorious thing. Friends, that is heaven. That is heaven. To be with the holiest, happiest and most loving being that has ever existed for eternity. That is what will make heaven, heaven to be with God. To spend an eternity, as it were, swimming basking in God's love and God's presence, knowing him and seeing him. And we will share this delight with each other and joy with each other in doing that. The love and the joy of God will actually overflow out of our hearts and our lives and it will overflow to each other as we all revel with each other in Christ. And there will be no end to this. There will be no end to this. When we've been there 10 billion years we still haven't even scratched the surface of who God is. And then when they've been there a hundred million years, we will still keep growing in the wonder and the glory of His. It will not grow old. It will just go from one glory to another glory. We will not grow weary in worship. Even we experience some of that as Sam leads us this morning, it will just go on and on and on and on. And we will love it and we will just love it more. And we will love it more. And a hundred billion years later, we will just keep doing that same thing. It will not end. So that's a glorious picture here that John's holding out for those back then and for us today. It's a promise of God that he declares for us. It's a powerful picture to keep us hanging on in the fight. 
because it's a fight in this broken world as we hear now. But that builds our hope, that builds our confidence, that helps us to hang on in the challenge. Who's this promise for? It's a promise here. We see this beautiful place that we just can't imagine. Who's it for? Is it for the A-list crowd? Are they the ones on the A-list? They're the ones who get a ticket to heaven? Is it for the good people of this life who never really gotten into serious trouble? Is it for good people? Is, is this who this promise is for? Is it for the nice and kind people of this world? They get this ticket into heaven and they get to experience that. Who, who's it actually for? Well, there is no A-list of people for heaven and there are no nice and kind and good people who deserve heaven. Not one single person in their own right deserves to be with God. But yet God has an invitation to see him. Have a look at this invitation in verses 6 and 7 of Revelation 21. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, read those words, to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. So the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. Can you see who God's inviting there? D- did you see who he's asking? To the thirsty. To the thirsty. Who are the thirsty? Well, these are the ones who've seen themselves as broken and washed up on the shores of pain and misery. It's the thirsty. You've been through the storms of life and you find yourself now washed up on the rocks of brokenness. You're thirsty. The thirsty are the ones who've tried to find anything they could in this life to find meaning and purpose in this world. You've tried everything. You've tried religion. You thought, if I just try religion, maybe that might give me meaning and purpose. Maybe you've tried relationships. Maybe you've had multiple relationships and you're just trying to find that one that will give you meaning and purpose in life. Or maybe you've tried success and career, that is where I'll find meaning and purpose. Or maybe you've even tried money and material things, if I can just accumulate all these things, that will find me purpose and I've really found life, then that will sustain me. And you've drunk from all of those things and it's maybe quenched your thirst a little bit for a while, but then you've got thirsty again. God says, are you thirsty? Are you really thirsty? Well, he says, come. Come and drink from the spring of the water of life. But look at what God says next in verse 6. He says there, you'll receive this eternal life without payment. Without payment. What do you mean, God, without payment? I thought I'd have to maybe buy this drink, buy this water. Again, we don't earn and we don't buy eternal life. We don't jump through certain hoops and make sure we meet all this criteria and then somehow I merit it or somehow I get it. Not at all. There has been a payment made. 
There has been a payment made. Jesus made that payment 2,000 years ago. His death on the cross has paid the price of all of our sins. But that payment's no longer required because that payment that Jesus made is once and for all. It's full payment. So now God can say, come without payment and drink freely from this water of life. How do we receive this? We receive this water of life, this forgiveness of our sins, uh, through God's grace as we put our faith and our trust in who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And we get to drink from this water of life. And to the one who does put their trust in Jesus, for the one who does uh, put their faith in what Christ has done and overcomes the challenges of this world, we are told in verse 7 what happens there. The one who conquers will have this heritage, will have this eternal life, and I will be his God and he will be my son. Did you see that? For the one who trusts, for the one who believes and turns away from sin, God says, I will be his God and you will be my son. God will not be ashamed of us. God will not be ashamed of us. He will gladly call us his son or daughter. Whatever we've done in the past is completely washed away in the blood of Christ. He will not be ashamed. We might be ashamed of ourselves, but God won't be. He sees us as his son and his daughter. Just as we close now, we've recently elected a new federal government here in Australia and they've made many promises to us and we all heard that through the political lead-up as all governments do. What have they done? They've promised to fix the energy crisis, fix the climate issues, sort out our health system, raise our wages, promise to look after our aged care system. They've done all this. In short, what are they doing? We're going to promise you a better life. We're going to promise you a better Australia. We're going to promise you a better world. Now, as we did before, we respect and we pray for our governments. They're appointed by God and we do that at the end of the day. But no government can give us the life we truly thirst for. They can do their best and we pray for them to do that, but no government policies will ever come close to giving us the life that we truly want or no government policies will ever come close to fixing the problems of this world. They won't even get close to it. The life we all thirst for cannot be found in this world. It can only be found in one place, in another world that God is creating for us. That is where we find true life. And that is what we'll find where we were truly created for. And when we get there and we see his face, here's what we'll say. This is what I was made for. This is where I'm meant to be. With the God who loves me and the God who's called me into relationship with him. This is what I was created for. That will be like an airport reunion that will go on and on and on and on. Jesus came to give us life, he said in John 10, 10, life to the full. If you thirst for that life, Jesus says, come and receive it. And Jesus remarkably said this in John chapter 7. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Where have you been trying to satisfy your thirst? What have you been doing, what have you been pursuing to try and quench the thirst of life? There's only one place. 
It's in Christ and Christ alone. You drink from him and you will find eternal life. You drink from him and you will see him face to face. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that we come and we we get to see this glorious picture in these uh, last couple of chapters here, Revelation 21, 22. God, we thank you for the glorious hope you have placed before us. Not only before us, but within us by the presence of your Holy Spirit. Lord, presently we live in a broken world. Presently, Lord, we live with hurt, we live with pain. We may live with rejection. We may live with a whole range of things that are constantly trying to pull us down. God, I pray today, please let your word with your spirit speak that hope and that peace into our hearts that we come and we drink from Christ. He satisfies our thirst. He gives us the strength to carry on and he fills our hearts with hope for the future that is before us. Grow that hope, I pray, Holy Spirit, today. Give us that hope to overcome the current place we find ourselves in in this world and let that hope continue to carry us on, I pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the living water that will truly quench our thirst. Well, today we do ask and we do pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.